All right. First things first. That word on the screen, is it singular or plural? It is singular, yes. Uh, the name of the book is actually um, the, uh, the, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, the, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which was given um, by God uh, so that, that we could know him better, so that we could know his salvation uh, more profoundly, more deeply. Now, having said that, uh, the plan that I have, plan, okay? We'll, we'll see if this even, uh, oh, what's going on? is going on. Um, notice it says a plan. We'll see what actually happens. So today, uh, uh, we're, 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 we're going to try to do the introduction to the book and the letters to the seven churches. Okay? And if the only way that we can get through this in the time allotted is pretty ambitious. So I'm just going to be right up front about that. Next week, we're going to try to get through four through eight, which is really, um, it's really a vision that leads into another vision. So the throne room of God, and, and then getting into the, the, the seven seals, the scroll that's sealed with seven seals. On the 29th, that's the church picnic, and uh, um, there's only one worship service that day, so we won't have class, okay? Uh, and then on August 5th, um, we'll try to do the, uh, the, the vision of the seven trumpets. On the 12th, We'll try to do the visions regarding the dragon, the beasts, and the lamb. Uh, on the 19th, we will try to do the, uh, uh, the visions of the seven plagues, the seven bowls, uh, a prostitute, and a beast. Okay? Um, the, these, two, these three visions are, are, are long. Um, these two are very short. Uh, in fact, they both fall into one chapter. They're both in chapter 15. And then on the 26th, uh, we'll talk about Babylon, heaven, a wedding, and a white rider, and the millennium. Uh, not the millennium falcon. That's a Star Wars reference, so, you know, sorry. Uh, and then on September 3rd, um, we'll talk about the new heaven and new earth. Um, and we'll talk about Jesus' return. These are probably some of the passages that uh, we're most familiar with as they talk about, uh, uh, they talk about heaven and, and what heaven's going to be like. So this, this book, the, uh, the Revelation of, uh, of, of Jesus Christ, is recorded by the Apostle John. Notice I say that it's recorded by him. It is not written by him. Um, the, the command was given for him to write down what he saw. So it wasn't a matter of, of like, a, like the epistles that we read. You know, I'm going to be preaching about Ephesians. Uh, Paul saw something going on. He re responded to it. The Spirit worked through him to guide him to do that. Um, but, but he wrote it. You know, he, this, this is his mind at work and, and, and his words as the Spirit leads him and guides him and prompts him. John is just, you know, I'm watching it and I'm writing down what I see. And he sees some pretty wild and crazy stuff that we're going to have to take a little bit of time to, to unpack. John's probably quite old at this point. Stop and think about this for a second. If a 16-year-old, which John was probably somewhere in those late teenage years when he was Jesus' disciple walking with him on earth, you know, if a 16-year-old, a kid, wrote this, would you be like, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's God's word. Yeah, he's probably taking some LSD or something. Um, but if John, after this long career of testifying about Jesus Christ and being the touchstone back to Jesus, this huge reputation, this, this incredible persona, writes all of this stuff down, people are going to be like, whoa, oh. And so he's probably quite old when, when he writes this. Uh, he had, in his career after Jesus' crucifixion, you remember that... Uh, um, he adopted Mary, Mary adopted him. And he took her into his home. He took care of her, provided for her, and she moved around with him. We know that she died in Ephesus. So we have a little connection here between the, the sermon and the Bible study. But uh, um, John was probably the first real bishop uh, of Ephesus. Paul founded the church, and he was the pastor that was there. But he, he settles there after Paul. And, and really starts building and growing uh, the church in that area and, and becomes that, that great leader there. Uh, he's exiled to Patmos, and uh, I'll show you a map of where that's at later. Uh, he's exiled possibly because poison didn't kill him. <laughs> One of the symbols for John is of a cup with a, a serpent in it. And uh, tradition tells us that they tried to kill him by poisoning him, and it didn't work. God protected him, but they weren't going to allow him to continue to to preach the gospel and and to proclaim Jesus crucified and risen. And so they exiled him, and and they put him out on this island. He has this long and distinguished service uh, as a witness to Jesus' resurrection and a messenger of God's love. And that, that character is so important as you consider what he writes here. Because without that, you know, you're probably thinking, this guy's nuts. But because he's so solid, you, you hear this and, and you have to take the words seriously. All right, so Revelation 1 through 3. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Uh, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, even before I I, I start unpacking this, this book uh, was written by one of my professors. This is a commentary on the book of Revelation. Okay? Um, I, I, I took his class. I sat with him for 10 weeks three days a week, an hour at a time. You remember our schedule? Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is, this, uh, you know, somebody said that's aggressive. No, that's stupid aggressive, okay? So just, you know, be ready for that. I, I am going to be flying fast and low. Um, but uh, um, th- there is so much in here that, that we need to, uh, to kind of look at, but hopefully get enough of it to kind of give us a sense of the bigger picture of the book, all right? So it's a revelation uh, whose revelation is it? Uh, no, even before that? It's God's. It's God's revelation. So if we say Jesus, yeah, okay, Jesus is God. Uh, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. So this, this really fits with the whole way that John talks about Jesus, that the Father gave Jesus words to speak, and Jesus spoke what the Father gave him. You know, and it's just kind of continuing in that paradigm. 
And, you know, so this is God's message to the church. And that would be us. us. Yeah, absolutely. And Jesus then makes this known to John by sending his angel to John. And John's the one who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He's, you know, he's setting himself to say, I, I, I'm this witness that God gave to testify about these things. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So who's blessed? <coughs> we are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, uh, a couple things to grab here. Who reads aloud the words of this prophecy? Reading at John's time in history was always done aloud. Um, there's a, uh, a scene in uh, Augustine's, I think it's in his Confessions, where, so you're, you're talking 400 years or so after this, um, where he notices uh, St. Ambrose reading. His lips are moving, but there's no sound. And he's just amazed. Now, if we saw somebody reading and their lips are moving, there's no sound coming out, we're like, they're doing it wrong. Stop moving your lips, Right? That's not how it was at their time. And I think that there's something about this. You know, in Romans 10, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And, and I think that there's something for us to think about in terms of how we engage the scriptures. I love it when my office is almost silent and I can just sit and read and there's no sound. And I, you know, I have all this stuff going on in, in my head but I begin to wonder if we shouldn't uh, begin to uh, cultivate a, a habit of reading the scriptures out loud, to hear them, to, you know, to, to engage them differently than, than what we've been doing. Well, we use three senses then. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's not just sight, you know, you're using three. Yeah, sight, sound, and hearing all come together. Might that also relate to the fact that so many people back then couldn't read, so if you read aloud, you're doing something good for yourself, but for anybody who happens to be Absolutely. here. Absolutely. But I also, I also think that this speaks to how God works through his word. You know, and uh, um, you know, it's something for us to think about. Uh, so blessed are those who read aloud, who speak, those who hear, uh, and those who keep, those who guard, those, those who protect uh, what is written in it. For the time is near. Um, and uh, um, that word time there, there are two words for time in, in Greek. Uh, there's, I don't want to make too big of a deal about this because it isn't a, it isn't a, a perfect match. But uh, um, chronos is time like what time is it? And kairos is the right time, the appointed time. And, uh, and this is the word that's there. The time, the appointed time. The time where, where God is going to do his thing is near. And, and, and so there's, there's this urgency about what, what's being said here. 
Now, um, would somebody be willing to read verses 4 through 8? Who's got it? All right. We'll get you next. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Did you say? Through eight. Through eight, that's right. Yeah. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the king of kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory, power, forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. All right. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right. Thanks, Bill. So it starts out pretty normal, grace and peace. Um, John writes this to the seven churches in Asia, um, Asia being Turkey. Okay. Uh, I don't know when uh, Asia became what we would now also call the Orient. Uh, but at this time, Asia was what you know, we would call Turkey today. Uh, and, and we'll get a little bit more into who those seven churches are, where they were at. Um, like I said before, I have a map, and uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that. And it says that, uh, uh, grace to you. Um, let's see if I can find it here. Verse 4. Uh, grace to you and peace from the one who is. Uh, these are actually participles. Uh, the being, the having been, and the one coming. And uh, I, I think that there's something important for us to grab here. It's kind of this Trinitarian, you know, uh, is, was, coming again, you know, all that type of thing. But I think that fits beautifully with the way that God speaks of himself in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, we get this name for God uh, at the, uh, um, the burning bush. He says, I am who I am. And this is the name that we translate uh, Yahweh, or transliterate or speak Yahweh. Um, Hebrew doesn't have any vowels originally. It, it makes for a very interesting, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, but uh, um, Yahweh basically saying, he is. So, so God is. And this kind of fits with that, that, that this is the, the, the God who he was there at the, the beginning. He, he was there. He is here now. He's coming again. And all of that kind of wrapped into this, this Trinitarian formula, speaking of, about God. Um, and he is writing to, uh, to, from the, uh, the seven spirits. Now, who are these seven spirits? Seven in the, in the scriptures is a symbol for completeness. How many days did it take God to create the heavens and the earth? Seven. seven days. And on the seventh day, he rested, right? Because the work was done. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's kind of the image here, this complete spirit. And, and so what's the most complete spirit that's out there? It's the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Um, and 
this, this comes, you know, from the the spirit who is before the presence of the throne of God. You know, that's you know that that connection, uh, and it's from Jesus Christ, and it calls him some interesting names. The witness, literally the martyr, in Greek. You know, because to be a martyr is to be one who not just who dies for the faith. That's English, but in in Greek, it's one who testifies. Jesus came to testify about God's will and God's word. He's the faithful one. He is the firstborn of the dead. You know, firstborn, implying there are many to come. Yeah, and, and you know, and and we are part of that train. Um, he is the the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, is that an image that, uh, that people would really wrap around today? No. no. You know, um, you know I, I look at the, the governmental leaders today, and you know, I, I'm often amazed by their arrogance. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, you know, they believe that it's all about them. And, uh, you know, but Jesus is saying, no, I am the ruler of the kings of the earth. I, I stand above them. So this is a pretty powerful powerful picture uh, of God in, in all three persons. Um, and, and he continues there. And uh, so w- w- there's a, a word of praise uh, that takes place here um, in, in terms of, the, you know, he's loved us, he's freed us from our sins, you know, and, and behold, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Um, that verse seven is actually a poem. I don't know if it's set apart that way in uh, in in your uh, translation, but uh, in the English Standard Version, it's not. Um, but it's actually a uh, it's actually a poem. And uh, behold, he's coming with the clouds. Um, and uh, you know th- this this is a very old Old Testament image. You might remember that there was a God in the Old Testament um, who is always kind of in conflict with with. Yahweh, um, and God's people are always going after him and worshiping him. He's called Baal. The, the, the more common version of Baal that we might be familiar with is a guy named Thor. Thor is everybody's favorite pagan god. He's the god of thunder, thunder of the storm, of rain, and fertility, and all of these things. And, and with Baal worship, um, all of that was there. And so, you know, they had these images of Baal, you know, you know, he didn't have the hammer, but kind of that same image, you know, the lightning and the power and all of that. Well, God's the one who rides on the clouds, you know. You, know, you, you think he's tough, you know, Baal's tough because, you know, he can summon lightning or, you know, call a storm or whatever. That's God's skateboard. Big deal. You know, that, that type of an idea. Um, and, uh, uh, and every eye will see him, um, including the ones who pierced him. And there's just kind of this image of accountability that's there. Um, that, uh, that when they see him, they will wail. Because they have already rejected him. You know, and so there's, there's this, this powerful, powerful image of who Jesus is. He continues, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Um, what do we mean by Alpha and Omega? A and Z. A to Z, yeah. And, and when we, it, it, I believe this is called a Hendiadus, where 
You know, you speak of the beginning and of the end, and it means everything in between. So uh, another way to say this is he's all that. Okay? These are all very, very powerful images. Uh, 9 through 11. Shirley, would you read that section for us, please? I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Laodicea, yeah. Okay, sorry. If I had been looking ahead, I wouldn't have given you that one. (laughs) I would have read that one myself. All right, I, John, your brother and partner. Um, You know, so... uh, Basically, we're, we're together in this, is what he's saying. You know, he's an apostle, but he's, he's you know, also a brother and a partner. But a brother and a partner in what? Tribulation. Tribulation. What else? Patient endurance. Patient endurance, yeah. And there's one other thing there. The kingdom. The kingdom. And... and this, this part about tribulation, when we come into faith, it brings us into conflict with the world. That is something that modern Christians, re- actually I shouldn't say that, modern American Western Christians struggle with. You know, we, we kind of feel like, you know, oh, well, everything should be better now. You know who never says that? Jesus. Yeah, God never says that when you follow me, you know, you're going to have the best life now. He never says, you know, everything's going to get better for you. You know, in the end, absolutely. Because we're talking about resurrection, everlasting life, living in the glory of God. But here and now, tribulation. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I got to tell you, walking through the valley of the shadow of death is not dying. It is the shadow that death casts upon those who walk toward it. The valley of the shadow of death is now. It's life. Because once we're on the other side of that, that's eternal light and glory in Jesus' presence. We'll get into that later in Revelation. John is our partner in in this life of tribulation, of the kingdom, that God's power and majesty and grace has invaded this life of tribulation and a patient endurance because we know what is to come. So even though life is full of struggles, a friend of ours once said, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. That's in John's gospel, by the way. You know, and, and so you know, just this, this, this is life. Um, you know, and this is what comes to us in Jesus. And he says he was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's there because he's being persecuted for the faith. That's what that means. He says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He went to church on Sunday. He was worshiping on Sunday. That's what that means. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. 
write down what you see. Send it to these seven churches. And it goes on. How far did I go? Too far. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, white, like white wool, uh, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roaring of many waters in his hand. He held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. So here's the image. We got these seven lampstands, and there's one like a son of man or the son of man? Uh. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be the son of man. Um, the Greek is ambiguous, and uh, it, um, there's no definite uh, particle. You know, there is no the in the Greek. But I think John is referring to something. There were three disciples that went with Jesus up on a mountaintop and they saw Jesus transfigured. Do you remember who those three disciples were? Elijah and Moses appeared there. They were the prophets that appeared there. Um, But there were three disciples that went with him. Peter, James, and John. And I think that what he's saying here, when he turns and he sees one like a son of man, this is Jesus' favorite name for himself. He's like, I've seen this before. (laughs) And so the image here, he's in a robe that stretches down to his feet. Um, this, This is a high priestly robe. This, this, this is fancy. You know, people didn't wear robes that went all the way down. That's too much cloth. You know, it's expensive. But the high priest did because he had to be completely covered when he went in to, uh, to serve the Lord in the temple. He's got this golden sash around his chest. It's a symbol of his office and of majesty. He, he's there. He's got this white hair. So these two images are, are high priestly. This white hair takes us to Daniel chapter 7 where, where Daniel sees a vision of the Ancient of Days. Guess what color the Ancient of Days hair is? White as wool. The Ancient of Days is God. Uh, he's got burning eyes. This is a reference to uh, Daniel chapter 10 verse 6 where God's eyes burn because God's eyes uh, are, are, are full of his judgment and his judgment burns away at sin and he has the power and the authority to condemn sin he has feet like burning brass this is a symbol of his power and his authority to crush nations to judge them to destroy them and that, that goes back to Daniel 2 32 33 a vision that, that Daniel has it's, it's a very powerful image he has this voice like many waters. Another reference to Daniel. This great, loud, uh, overwhelming voice. And in his hand, he, he has seven stars. And then he has the, uh, the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Which means he has the authority to execute judgment. This is not a soft image, is it? 
This is an image of Jesus in his glory and his power and his majesty. Now, it's interesting that in a little bit we're going to meet the Lamb of God. And these two image, images are set kind of against each other. Jesus is which? The Son of Man or the Lamb of God? Yes. 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 When he comes in judgment, he is the Son of Man. And this applies to all people, whether they believe in him or not. And he will come and they will experience the terror of that image. We read that in that little poem, right? They will look upon the one that they pierced and they will wail. Later on, we're going to read another one like this where they're going to call on the mountains to fall on them and the hills to cover them. That's the image of God's judgment. The lamb that was slain and lives again, that's the image of his mercy. It's law and gospel. He's speaking from his law and his glory and his power uh, at this point. And it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Um, it actually says, uh, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a corpse. Uh, but he laid his right hand on me saying, uh, fear not, stop being afraid, literally. Um, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. <clears throat> Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are, that are to take place after this. Literally, those who are about to take place. Uh, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Um, so John falls as a corpse before this glorified Christ. You remember what happened on the mountain of transfiguration when, when Peter, James, and John saw Jesus in his glory? Peter, yeah, they bow down, but Peter's like, you know, hey, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And, you know, he says these just kind of ridiculous things because he doesn't know what to say. He has to say something. Yeah, I got to say something. So, yeah. And in um, Isaiah chapter 6, we have this incredible vision where Isaiah comes into the temple and he sees God enthroned in the temple and he cries out, Woe to me, for I am an unclean man with unclean lips who lives among unclean people. And this is the same thing that's going on for John. He is now being confronted with the holiness of God's glory. What's the appropriate response when a sinful person comes into God's glory? To die. And pretty much that's what he does. He falls like a dead man. And Jesus reaches out. It doesn't just say his, it says his right hand, the hand of blessing, the hand of mercy, and touches him. Stop being afraid. He speaks to him out of his power, but also out of his mercy. And so he is this one who was dead and is now alive. He, 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 this, this is Jesus' identity. These are the identifying marks of who Jesus is. It's the act of salvation, the crucifixion and resurrection. And he has the keys of death and hell. I was glad to see that my translation uh, capitalized those, kind of personified. Did, did yours? No? Hades. Death and Hades? Hades okay. It really should be both. Um, literally, the death of, or the, uh, the keys of Thanatos and Hades. 
yeah, Greek gods of death. And he, he's really asserting his power over these incredible forces that, that all people deal with. And, and he's saying, you know, I, I'm more powerful than death itself. And anyone who, who, who would take you from me. And, and what he's talking about in these visions that we are about to read, what is, what is um, that what is about to be. So all of these things that are going on in the book of Revelation are happening and will happen. And it's, it's, it's kind of like a cycle. And they're constantly, parts of this book are, are just constantly happening. What is? But what will be deals with when Jesus returns and he sets all things right. And he says that the seven stars are seven angels. This is another reference to Daniel. And the image is that each city has its own angel, its own protector. And that the seven lampstands are seven churches. All right, chapter one. Yeah. This says something to the people that think we don't need the Old Testament, all we need is the New Testament. Oh, absolutely. Um, You cannot understand Revelation without the Old Testament. It is so steeped uh, in, in imagery and language out of the Old Testament. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and when you read uh, the Bible, um, you, there isn't a single book in the Bible that doesn't reference the Old Testament. I mean, directly reference it. All right, so here are the seven churches. Um, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You notice that there's kind of this... Uh, you know, they're not far from each other. Uh, you might have, what, 100 miles, 120 miles between these two. Um, and, uh, and here's Patmos. This is where uh, John was exiled to. And so he receives the vision, and then he's going to send this letter, and it's going to be sent all the way through uh, all of these, okay? And uh, uh, right there on the coast of Greece, or of, uh, not Greece, Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it was the center of, uh, of civilization at the time. So the letters to the churches. So chapters 2 and 3 uh, are, are a series of letters to the churches. Book of Revelation. My bad. Hi there. Did you notice Book of Revelation? Singular. Okay. So um, each of the letters follows a pattern. They all have local detail. Jesus is going to tell them something that he knows about them. Okay? And then there will be an image of Christ. He's going to identify himself mostly out of this vision. He's going to refer back to this vision to talk about who he is. He's, He's speaking to them out of his glory. He's speaking to them as the Son of Man. This is not Lamb of God stuff, so there's there's some serious judgment stuff uh, going on in here. He's going to tell them what he sees, both the good and the bad. Then he's going to call on them to repent, to change their ways, and he's going to promise uh, to those who conquer, those who overcome. Okay? So, we'll take a look at these letters. 
Would somebody read uh, um, Revelation 2, 1 through 7, please? No, I don't want you to play it. I want it read. I'll read it. Okay. Um, To the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. All right, thank you. All right, so here's what Jesus knows. He knows that the false, there are false prophets and there are Nicolaitans. There, Nicolaitans. Um, who are the Nicolaitans? These are people who taught that you know it, it was good and right to uh, to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols, which many considered to be a participation in worship of idols, demonic you know worship, and they they were like, oh no, that's fine. Go ahead, do that. That um, <clears throat> that's okay to do. Uh, they encouraged uh, sexual immorality, and. Uh, um, they, uh, they, they were really kind of flirting with the culture that they were living in. Ephesus was a town that had many, many um, temples in it. The most famous being the Temple of Artemis, um, which was one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, what they think that was was actually that there was a, uh, um, a meteorite you know, that struck there. big. And uh, that this was a sign from the gods, and, uh, and they attached it to Artemis, which really isn't like, if you are familiar with Greek mythology, it's not that Artemis. It's really a, a conflation, a, a syncretic version of this goddess. Um, but there were temples to Zeus and Apollo and, and you know, that whole, and, and, and other gods that were there, okay? And, and so um, these Nicolaitans were, were part of the, church and there were people who would ostensibly be Christian but then they're teaching them to go ahead and participate in this pagan worship and pagan worship is often connected to sexual immorality and I think one of the things for us to grab here uh, in in our culture because it's going to come up in several of these letters in our culture we struggle with sexuality and there's all sorts of questions about what's right and what's wrong and Christians are actually divided on this point The call to sexual purity has always been there. When we read the scriptures, all the way back into the Old Testament, God's people have always been called to live sexually pure lives. You know, and God put it together a model for that. Uh, you know, man, woman, marriage, life. That's it. And outside of that context, the, the call has always been abstinence be sexually pure and you know that, that that's he, he's already in that in the, this first letter so he says he, you got this stuff going on there he identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the golden lampstands jesus is the lord of the church he is he's god over god's people the good that they do 
they endure. They can't bear evil people. They're not weary with the good works that God has called them to do, and they hate the work of the Nicolaitans. They condemn the work of the Nicolaitans. This is another thing that we get you know, messed up on our culture. You know, we got to love everybody. And yes, we do have to love everybody, but that doesn't mean we have to love everything that they do, everything that they teach. God calls us to be faithful to his truth. And we see this in, the, in these letters. The bad that's going on there, you've left your first love. Something has become more important to them than their faith in Jesus. He calls them to repent, to do the first works, to believe in Jesus, to have him first in their lives, or else I'm going to remove your lampstand. The lampstands are the churches, right? I'm going to destroy your church is what he's saying. Have we seen anywhere in the world where God's people have walked away from his word and their churches have been destroyed? Go to Europe. Go to Canada. It's coming to America. These beautiful grand cathedrals where once the gospel was preached to so many people, they sit empty. Their lampstand has been removed. Now, does that mean that there are no Christians there? No. No. God's people are still there, but, but boy, oh boy, the suffering is there too. And the promise, I'll grant to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. What is that a reference to? Genesis. 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 Yeah. The tree of life. The tree that gives everlasting life. And Jesus this time says, I'm going to let you have it. You know, this, this is, you know, the knowledge of, tree of knowledge of good and evil. The devil tempted Adam and Eve to eat there. And they disobeyed God and ate it. And he kicked them out before they could eat from the tree of life. He says, I'm going to give you the fruit that you desire. I'm going to give you these rich and good blessings. Smyrna. Um, somebody willing to read 8 through 11, please. Becca. Yeah, that promise section almost always begins with, he who has an ear, let him hear. Which is another phrase that Jesus used during his, uh, his earthly ministry. So what do we know about the Smyrna? The synagogue of Satan is there. Um, and what does that mean? Um, it, it means that there are people claiming to be God's people, and, uh, and they're not. Um, Smyrna is also where there was this huge um, temple to Zeus. So there's, there's false worship. There are only two forms of worship. I know that you know, there are all kinds of religions, but when you boil them down, there's only two. There's the true faith in the one true God and everything else. And, and that's, that's the image that, that the scriptures present to us here. And so what do we know about Christ? How does he identify himself? He says, I'm the first and the last, the one who was dead and came back to life. 
um, the good that's going on, I know your suffering and poverty. Why are they suffering? Why is there poverty? Because of their faith. Mm-hmm. The, the bad, they're afraid of suffering. Think there might be a message to modern Christians there? American Christians? It makes sense to me to be afraid of suffering. It does. But I got to tell you that when I, I've met pastors from Africa who actually face uh, persecution, they are not afraid. They have found God to be faithful. And uh, um, that just blew me away. And we here are afraid if somebody says something. Oh, they look crossways at you and you're, you know. Yeah. Um, What should they repent of? What should they turn away from? He says, stop being afraid of the coming suffering, the poverty, but be faithful to death. I will give you the crown of life. Is that anybody's confirmation verse here? No? That used to be very, very common. In fact, I think that was dad's confirmation verse. Um, and then the promise will not be hurt by the second death. What's this? How many times do you plan on dying? Yeah. So, Bill Howlett, if you died when you were baptized, that means you have everlasting life. Now, are you going to die someday? Or do you have to be afraid of that? No, because you've already died. You will not be hurt by the second death. That's what he's talking about. The physical death. You're not going to be hurt by that. Doesn't mean there won't be pain. Doesn't mean there won't be pain. I'm thinking back to like wrestling with my my, my boys and getting socked in the chin. (laughs) Did it hurt? Yeah. Was I hurt? No. You know, I mean, they didn't have the, the, the strength to really hurt me. That's what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be this bodily hurt that goes on, but in the grand scheme of things, it just bounces off because we look to that everlasting life. Yeah. This contains as good a description of life as it's going to be a bowl of cherries. Mm, right. Yeah. If you persevere, everything's going to be all right. Yep. But it's not going to be all smooth. And- right. All right. I'm just going to run through the rest of these and give you the images that are there. In Pergamum, he says Satan's throne is there. This, the synagogue of Satan is a group of Jewish people who, who were under, under, um, undermining the faith. The, Satan's throne is a, This is a reference to the Temple of Zeus that was in Pergamum. Um, Satan lives there. There's an image for you. You know, where all of these false idols are. He's saying this is the devil's place. There was a guy by the name of Antipas that was martyred there. And when they say martyred this time, they are talking about dying for the faith. Uh, And the teaching of the Nicolaitans are there too. Um, The image of Christ, he's the one with the sharp two-edged sword. He's the one who has authority to judge them. So he's judging them what's good, you hold on to my name, and you did not deny the faith, even at Antipas's martyrdom. Even though you had that threat of death standing over you, you held on to the faith. What's bad? Some hold to the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. All right. You can read about Balaam in the book of Numbers. And uh, basically, um, there was a king by the name of Balak, 
who uh, was the king of, I believe it was Moab, who was very concerned about this great group of Israelites who were wandering around in the wilderness, and he hired Balaam to come curse them. And, you know, Balaam actually says, well, I, I can only say what God says. You know, well, Balak, you know, said, oh, well, come anyhow, I'm going to pay you to curse them. He blesses them three times because he says what God gives him to say. Balak is pretty upset because he paid him a substantial amount of money to curse them, and all he does is bless them. But in the end of this conversation, Balaam tells Balak how to get the Israelites out of God's favor. He says to invite them to their pagan worship, much of which was very sexual in orientation. It was a lot of fertility cult stuff. You know, there were two gods that were a god and a goddess that were very common in the Old Testament, Baal and Asherah. Their husband and wife. Fertility happens when Balaam and Asherah have sex. But we have to give them the idea to have sex. So how do you do that? You go up on high hills where they can see you and have sex in front of them. That's that that was their worship. Which I gotta say, for a 16-year-old Israelite boy sounds pretty fantastic. There's a lot of drinking and a lot of reveling and, you know, all of that that goes into. And he's saying, this is what's going on here. This is what's going on in the United States, too, is we're, you know, these are all the same thing. You could participate in all of it and it's all good. And it's very close to what was being taught by the Nicolaitans, too. He says, to repent, turn away from these teachings, or else I will war with you with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And the promise? I will give the hidden manna and a white stone and a secret name. Um, manna is what? It's the bread of God. Yeah. You know, so when you overcome, God feeds this food that gives everlasting life. The white stone is a, a Greek reference. Um, trial by jury is nothing new. Um, the Greeks did it. And in Athens, what they would do is uh, you were given two stones when you were a juror. One was black, the other was white. Black is guilty, white is innocent. You're given a white stone. You're declared innocent, forgiven. And the secret name, that's the name of your baptism. You know, God's name written on you. You know, that you become his child and, and, and his person. In Thyatira, uh, the details, uh, there's a so-called prophetess Jezebel there. Um, and Jezebel is right in, in with, with you know, those who teach the teachings of, of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, um, pagan worship, uh, sexual immorality, you know, all of these things. Uh, and, and some have known the depths of Satan, um, which probably means that they are participating in pagan worship, actually going to the idols, participating in the, uh, the sacrifices and, and all of those kinds of things. Jesus identifies himself as the son of God who has eyes like fire and feet like brass and he searches thoughts and hearts. This is another really, you know, the eyes of judgment are upon them. And not only does he have eyes of judgment, he has feet to crush those who fall under his judgment. 
He compliments the good among them. He says they have love, faith, service, endurance. Your last works are more than your first works. So when they came to faith, they were kind of weak and didn't do much. But you know, they're, they're doing more now. The bad, they're tolerating Jezebel. Our culture very greatly um, cherishes this idea of tolerance. And I think sometimes that's good, and other times it's not. There are things that God does not want us to tolerate. Now, when I say that, does that mean that, that we should like go punch the people in the mouth who are teaching that? Well, of course. <laughs> no. God loves people. He wants to bring... Jesus will take care of that. He's the one with the fiery eyes and the brass feet. but we're not to tolerate their teachings. We are to call them out. And the bad, they're also teaching people to commit sexual immorality and eat idolatrous food. So he calls them to repent of the adultery with Jezebel. He tells them that their children will be killed. Um, they're going to fall under his judgment. He's not telling them to kill her children. They, they, they'll be taken care of. And the faith must hold fast to what they have. And the promise, I'll give my authority to rule the nations in an iron scepter and give the morning star. You know, and, and these are all images of, of being swept up into Jesus' glory to live in his power and in his majesty. In Sardis, they have a reputation of being alive but are dead. Can we resonate with that as Christians? They're a bunch of hypocrites. They have a reputation of being alive, but are dead. Um, Christ identifies himself as the one having the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, he's the Lord of the church. Uh, a, a few have not polluted their garments and are worthy to be dressed in white. Uh, in other words, there, there are people who are trying to live the faith there, who are living in God's grace. The bad, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but are dead. You know, you're doing all the right stuff on the outside, but inside, faith isn't there. So what do they do? Repent. Keep what you've received. Watch, lest I return as a thief. In Philadelphia, there's an open door for evangelism. Uh, the Jews of the synagogue of Satan will acknowledge that I have loved you. They're going to recognize God's blessings on his people. Jesus identifies himself as the holy and true one who has the key of David and who opens and closes it's a symbol of authority again. We're talking about David the king and this key that he uses, you know, it, it, it's, it's all about his power. What's the good that's going on there? I've placed before you an open door. You have opportunity and you've kept my word and not denied my name. The bad, you only have a little bit of power to take advantage of open doors, opportunities to serve. This is the, the congregation that uh, they're, they're trying to be really faithful but they just don't have resources and they're really, they're hurting. They're trying, but they, they just don't have it. Repent. Hold on to what you have because even the church that has nothing has the gospel. And I will protect you during the testing of all the earth and I'm coming quickly. And then the promise, I will place him as a pillar in God's temple. I will write on him God's name, the name of God's city and my new name. So the image here, um, you've seen uh, the Parthenon, images of the Parthenon in Athens. Hi, Ruth. 
all kinds of pillars, right? He's basically saying, you're, you're part of my temple. You're part of my church. You know, and I'm, you're claimed by God and you're, you're part of his citizenship. Laodicea, um, the detail about him, <laughs> you're worldly wealthy, but spiritually poor, naked, and blind. I think this is another, another image that we need to take to heart as American Christians. Wealthy, but spiritually, we do not stand to the level of our forefathers. We don't have the commitment to the word. We don't have the knowledge of the scriptures that they had, those who went before us. Christ identifies himself as the Amen, the faithful and true witness, and the source of God's creation. Um, amen means yea, yea, and shall be so. It's probably the oldest word we still speak. It's Hebrew. Uh, I would guess that the, when um, Adam and Eve prayed, they probably said amen too. Um, and, uh, uh, and so it's just this beautiful word to say, God, whatever you decide, yes. Um, he says nothing good about them. How painful would that be? To receive this message and there's nothing good from God about you. The bad, they're lukewarm and they don't even know it. One of the most vivid images, you know, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Repent, I'm about to spit you out. Repent and receive purification and healing from me. And knock at the door. There's just this image of Jesus reaching out to them. You know, I want you. If anyone opens, I will enter and eat with him. We talked a little bit about this eating with him when we were talking about parallels, parables, parallels, parables, um, that this is acceptance. This is fellowship. And the promise, I'm going to grant to sit with me on the throne, those who overcome. Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Um, so a lot of stuff there to process. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that this begins to, to help. And next we're going to get into some of the weird visions. We get a little bit of weirdness, but it's going to get weirder. So yeah. let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message of, uh, of judgment and of comfort. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be people who have an ear to hear your word and to believe what your spirit says to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.